Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. So today we're talking about e-collar features. Everybody's got different collars. The majority of the systems that are out there today can be used to train dogs, but there's different features on all of them. And it can be a little overwhelming if you're buying a new collar. There's some differences between them and we just want to go over just the general, this is what they are and this is how you use them. So you want to go into that just a little bit with us, Robin? Thanks, Steve. I think we've, I think everybody, or I think most people know when you're looking at a collar, more levels equals more diversity, but not everybody understands when you have the option to work both momentary stimulation and continuous stimulation that increases the amount of versatility that you have. Let's define those two, because that, that to me is the two, two key features. It's momentary versus continuous. Dog to refers to it as Nick and constant. Yep. I don't know if there's any other any other names, but I think that about covers it. So give us your definition. of Momentary is going to be a predetermined duration. Now, it's important to understand that every manufacturer is going to determine how long that duration is. They're not the same across the board. So a dog tra, for instance, is not the same as a Garmin. It's not the same as a DT or something like that. So, but it's predetermined. So let's say in theory, because I, I think Garmin's is one-tenth of a second. I'm not 100% on that. So when you press a momentary button, no matter how long you hold your finger on that button, it is one-tenth of a second. It's over and done. So you have to basically take your finger on and off in order to repeat stimulation. Okay. Versus continuous is going to continue to go for as long as you depress the button. Every company has an automatic timeout. Again, those vary as far as when that's going to be. So you've got to be aware that if you're using the continuous button, if you keep holding it, your dog is going to continue to feel stimulation. That's an advantage for a lot of scenarios, but you have to be aware of it, right? So one of the things I think that people get confused about is, do I have to use one or the other? And they don't understand how you how the different sensations might affect the dog differently, depending on what you're working on. So, so I've always been bothered by the continuous name because it sounds like you're out of control with it in that you press the button and it stays on and you don't, and you can't cut it off. And right. that is not, and I've never come up with a better name for it than, than continuous, but that is some confusion with some people as far as, you know, it with continuous, you control the duration. And then when you say there's an automatic cutoff, same thing there, if you and this is something you want to test on a collar, but when you press, you hold that button down, it depends on who it is. It's eight seconds on some, it's 12 seconds on others, but no matter how long you hold that button down, eventually the stimulation is going to stop. And that's designed to an accidental, for some reason, your transmitter gets pushed up against something and now it's stimming the dog. It's going to cut off. And so that's the idea behind that automatic shutoff. Right. So a question that I get a lot, because I think people watch my, watch my videos and they see me talking a lot about the momentary button, at least in the early training, they see me talking about that. The thing that I like people to, to realize about that is my work has always been created with the novice user in mind. So people that are brand new to a remote collar, I start them out on the momentary button because I want them to learn some muscle memory, some skill of taking their finger and timing it to behavior and going on and off the button accordingly. I don't want them to get so overwhelmed when they're brand new to it that they just hold on that continuous button and they might be messing up the timing. Now, what a lot of people may not know is I personally train with the continuous the vast majority of the time. 
but I will pulse it as if it is a momentary button. So really, the momentary comes into play for different scenarios. But for a novice, I think it's valuable to start with the momentary until you get some skill. Then you can start moving over to the continuous button once you've learned some of that skill. I don't know what your feeling is on that, Steve. So I I do basically the same thing. It's rare that I use momentary. I tend to use collars that have, they have both, but they're set up where you're, it's an either or. And I really don't like to go back and forth. So I have a tendency to, it, it, I have a tendency to use continuous, but in a momentary fashion. Now I'm comfortable that even my timing is not as quick as what's going to happen with a momentary, but that pre-measured amount, I'm not going to be that fast on and off, but I'm going to gauge it on the dog and what the dog needs more than anything else. But then I also, and I don't know if I was doing this before I started working with you, but I do a lot of. I'll do a stem and tap tap is our joke around here of, of when you're talking about a dog, because it's a lot of, and I think your take on this has always been that it breaks that dog's thought process where it's on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. And that, that causes a dog. And a lot of times when we're training, it's more about breaking the dog's concentration on what he's focused on and getting him focused back on the task at hand. And so, so I find that helps in a lot of situations. Um, but once again, it's hard to say, well, I do this all the time or I do this all the time. It depends. You know, it depends on what we're doing yeah. and it depends on the dog. I think that you do have some of that that plays into it. Talk, talk a little bit about that because I know that's a, that's a big that, factor. It is a big factor. And that's why people really have to, if you want to get really good at this and you want to really train with this tool, you have to learn to work these buttons in different ways. You have to learn, obviously, the dog in front of you, read the dog in front of you. So here's one of my thoughts about the different buttons or using tap versus, let's call it a longer drag on the button. So here's my thinking. If we were trying to motivate a little kid to go to his room, I might go tap, tap, come on, let's go. And it's breaking resistance because it's got that kind of on and off. So I think of the momentary or using continuous with tap, tap, tap as that same thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It breaks focus, it initiates the movement. Now, there are times where I will use a much longer drag. And when I say much longer, we're probably talking two seconds, which is a pretty long drag, right? For I have a dog that's just super high drive, super intense, my little terrier. And he will be challenged sometimes to maintain his focus on me. And if I use a level of continuous that's lower, a little bit lower, I don't want to, I don't want to startle him. I don't want to overwhelm him, but it's almost like I have my hand on him all the time going, look, son, just bring it down and pay attention. And then I can come off the button. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You're paying attention, mom. Right. Where if I go tap, he's like, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? So it can elevate him. And make it crazier. So I have to be really aware yep. that essentially the cadence or the rhythm at which I'm pushing that button is going to influence his energy as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And it's one of those things that that I know Loki well enough that that I'm comfortable with how he can be and he's something else. So, but that is definitely a more advanced yes. technique and it takes time. And you've got to be comfortable with stimulation. And so, you know, what I like going back to just talking about momentary versus continuous, the beauty of momentary, especially for a novice user, if you do stim at the wrong time, it's not going to last very long. So it allows you to, to not worry about that. A lot of folks are very concerned about overstimming the dog or stimming them at the wrong time. And so momentary takes some of that away from it, from the standpoint that, you know, that if, if you get if you get stuck on the button, which 
sounds odd, but can happen because you're doing two or three things at the same time. You've got this dog and he's on the leash and you've got your treat bag and you've got your remotes and yeah, it's, it's a lot. And next thing you know, you look down and you were holding the button substantially longer than you intended. To. And so, so momentary takes away some of that if you do get overwhelmed with it. So I think there's some, I think there's some advantage there from a new user standpoint. Yeah. And I did not see that for a long time. I want to say that the majority of the collars that I started out on didn't even have momentary. They were fully continuous collars. And this is back, this is 25, 30 years ago. And I think it's fair to say too, the advantage that you had going into it is growing up around it, growing up working dogs, growing up with a lot of skill already going into it. And that's why, again, my thinking when I first started educating a pet owner was they're completely novice to this equipment. They have a lot of hesitation to begin with. One of the things I liked to say to people is when you push this button, you're giving basically one-tenth of a second duration of stimulation. That means if we push this button, let's say 30 times in this training session, it's been three seconds total duration that your dog has experienced. And that just helps people understand okay, I'm really not doing something overwhelming to the dog by pushing this button. So that was a lot of my reasoning for starting a beginner, getting them used to the momentary button before we bumped them over to say, okay, now let's learn how to use it continuous. And I like too the word that you use, you're using the word, I like that because I think that has a little bit more of a explanation of what we're trying to do in some situations. Once again, when you start talking about breaking a dog from an, from an action, or if they're doing something dangerous, you got a dog chasing a car or a dog that's running in the direction of a road, something like that, then it becomes a little different situation, but low level, longer, low level, continuous has a lot of advantages in certain situations. So I guess it, it is one of those things where it just depends on the situation. You know what I just might be interesting information for a puppy owner, somebody that's raising a puppy where I love low level drag on continuous and i mean low but when i'm teaching a puppy not to put their teeth on me okay and i can just use that i've got that their teeth are on and i can basically be on that button going don't do it it feels weird and they look around they're like what happened so it's such an easy way to use pressure on and off and teach the puppy as soon as you take your teeth off me that weird sensation stops as you put your teeth on it starts again so that's a wonderful use a situation like that that's interesting. Now, I've seen you do puppies also where you stem and give them a treat and stem yeah. and give them a treat. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting. Association uh, for food yeah. and creative uh, recall. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Well, if that's yeah. their first thought, if I touch you on the shoulder and hand you a $5 bill and I do that five, six times in a row, yeah. and the uh, next time I can reach out and touch you from a farther distance, you're going to come looking at me to get you right. to come looking for me to get your five bucks. That's a good, that's a good point. But that's a different, <laughs> that's a different conversation. Okay. So, so we talked about continuous and we talked about momentary. All right. Most collars have non-stimulation options also. So typically that's going to be tone, which is a beeping sound at the collar and vibration, which I'm dating myself by saying the word pager, but that works at least for the 50 and up crowd. There's it's, it vibrates. It causes the unit to vibrate. So what is your take on those? They are both very popular features with folks that are, I'm not going to say anti-stem, but are hesitant to stem. And let's talk a little bit about how you use them and what the recommendations are. And to be honest, as far as tone, I'm indifferent. I don't use it. Even if I have that option, I've, it's very rare that I use the tone. Nevertheless, because people 
think of that as we're going to warn them with a tone and then we're going to follow up with a shock if they don't listen. And I might let you address that because I know you have some thoughts on that as well. As far as the vibration, though, I do want to point out people make an emotional judgment, an assumption that vibration is more humane or fairer or easier on the dog than stimulation. That's just because we're very stuck in the thought process that it's electric collar and therefore it's obviously a shock. What they don't realize is vibration. You cannot change the intensity of it. It is what it is. And I've seen plenty of dogs that are deeply startled by it. Whereas you can set what we can turn intensity when we're using stimulation and tailor it to the actual sensitivity of the dog. So it's just, it's a, it's an inaccurate assumption for somebody to think that vibration is automatically more fair to the dog. A lot of dogs are going to be real panicked by it. Is there a point? Is there a purpose for it? If the dog can tune into it and they're not overwhelmed by it, I will use it as a novel sensation sometimes for if I want a novel response, if I want to build a recall without any verbal cue. So there's quite a few canine handlers I've taught this in the past. If they're sending their dog into building to do a building search, they don't want to disclose their location where they're at. They don't want the bad guy to know. You push the page, your dog automatically knows that's a return. So it could be a silent recall. If I have had a dog that's really overwhelmed by the vibration, I will use it as a high level aversive if needed. So I've done that for dogs that'll trash raid or dogs that maybe will turn around to eat feces, gross things like that. And if they're really aversive, they really have a strong response to the vibe, then I'll use that rather than stim because it's a novel thing associated just with those problems. So I think that some of our differences are because... I'm a tone guy where you're a vibration. And a lot of that has to do with you. You have used more dog collars, which dog collars did not have tone options up until just recently. We have a few collars that have it now where I had collars for years that only had tone and did not have vibration. So I have a tendency not to use vibration that often compared to my use of tone. So, and, and I tend to use vibration in a negative fashion mm-hmm. in that, that I have a tendency to, if that dog responds to it. And I've had a few that they would much rather get a momentary or continuous stimulation than get a vibe. The movement of it is it affects some dogs in a much, much more powerful way than even stimulation will. It's not subtle, which stimulation can be subtle and vibration is not subtle. I break um, this both hands shaking. Yes. Yeah. It's a wake up. And now the problem now, and I want to be careful because some dogs will ignore it. You have to figure out what your dog, how your dog reacts to it, because I'm comfortable that you could take a dog and you could train a lot of the things that, that I would typically use. And you would typically use stimulation for, you could do it with vibration. The problem with it is that it's at one speed. It's at one level. There's not a, you can't increase it. You can't decrease it. Doesn't change. It's the same all the time. And the problem with that is that when his drive increases, for whatever reason, you may be able to get him to do all this stuff in a no distraction with vibe, but then he starts chasing a car and you try to stop him with vibe and it's not going to happen. And so that's the part to me that you have to be careful about with vibration. Right. So tone for me, all right, I am about as anti-warning as you can get. (laughs) And this is a, this is the parent in me coming out. There is nothing worse If you're going to use, you cannot use it as a warning, okay? Especially tone, all right? You cannot do it. Major problem with it is that everything in the world beeps and buzzes, okay? So my my watch, 
I don't know why, but my watch started talking to me this week and it makes sounds for just no reason whatsoever. I don't know if I changed something or what, but now it starts to beep at me and I don't know why. My microwave makes sounds. Uh, every computer makes sounds. Your cell phone makes sounds. It's getting worse. There's, we've got all these, these ring things and Lex and all of this stuff. So, so there's a lot of devices in your home that are going to beep. We just got one of those new robot vacuums and it beeps all the time. So you got to be careful because if you teach a dog, okay, you hear this beep and something bad is going to happen, um, or change your behavior or you're going to get a correction and you hear this beep. Well, now. I open the door to my truck and it starts beeping because my keys are in it. Now the dog who is not doing anything goes, wait, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do to set this off? Okay. So, so I'm very anti that because I don't want a dog to deal with that. I don't need a paranoid dog when somebody's making popcorn or, and the worst part about it too, is that it's not just the stuff that you control. If your dog's out in the world with other things, your buddy comes over and his phone makes the exact same beeping sound that you're you know, that your collar does. Now it's completely out of your control. The other problem with it is that some of them are loud enough that other dogs can hear it. So I, this is where it first became an issue for me. We had a dog that was doing the exact correct thing that he was supposed to be doing. And we had a dog that was coming in. He was on point and we had a dog that was coming in and refused to back, which is to honor, which is to stop visually. And so my father and at the time he was probably, I don't know what color he was using, but it was, this is mid eighties, probably early eighties. And, and it, and some colors back then automatically they had a tone and then they had a, when you stemmed it toned at the same time. And so he toned to get the dog to stop. And the dog that was on point thought he was about to get shocked and came off, which is a wow. huge bad thing. <laughs> so, so the problem with it is that other dogs in the vicinity can hear it. So you end up with, you end up with this, just, if you're using it as a warning, you could end up with a, just a completely out of control situation where your dog thinks he's getting corrected for doing what he's doing. He's doing something right. And he's got all this outside, all these outside factors that are telling him he's doing something wrong. So paranoid dog. That's Um, interesting. I never thought about any of it because I just never really used it. So that's fascinating. Well, a lot of it comes from containment systems. And I don't know if you've ever done much with containment systems, but containment systems, not only are dogs real place oriented, but they are very sound, sound Pavlov. If you go back and look at the studies at Pavlov, it was all sound based. And so teaching a dog to stay inside an area using containment, using tone, you hear the sound. And if you don't back up, you're going to get a stimulation, but that's where a lot of it comes from. So like I said, I personally used it in the past and saw what I consider to be the nightmare of it. Now, vibrations, not the same way. So if you are one of those people that wants to do that and your dog can handle vibration and you want to give a warning, that's fine. But my take on this has always been, I'm not given warnings. I'm given commands. I told him what to do. And if he's trained and he knows what he's supposed to do and he refuses to do it, then he needs a correction. He doesn't need an additional warning. And that's just the same way as, as when I, when my kids are misbehaving or when they did, when they were young, it, it's the, I'm going to count to three. Or it's the, I'm going to, if you do that one more time, it's going to be trouble. And that doesn't work. You're much better off to say, stop doing that. And if they don't do, you know, and if they don't stop doing that, then there's a consequence to that action. And so it's just about being consistent with the animal. And so tone as a warning is a huge, just no, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and I think to, to just, to just touch on that a little bit, it came from 
when callers were very early in development and we did not have finesse with the levels. So in fairness, we were using truly corrective, but that's, I struggle sometimes with the word correction. I don't necessarily use that word, but I get it. I get how most people are referring to it, but that's where it came from is because if you didn't heed the warning, you were seriously going to get corrected. And those, there was only a minimal amount of levels. Same thought process with the hidden fences, right? If you don't heed the warning, it's out. If you cross the line, it is not something that is very subtle. But if we are color conditioning on today's modern callers, the levels are far different. So that I feel the same way. I'm not going to give you the one, two, three option. If you don't listen on command, because I've already went through the training process, right. obviously we're a little farther in the sequencing, but I'm just going to enforce. I'm going to enforce on the command. Sure. So that's where I'm going to use the color. So I do feel the same way you do about the tone used as a warning. But I never, because I don't use it to right. any significance at all, never thought about the crossover possibilities with other things in the house. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. So so now to completely turn that around, I use tone heavily with my dogs. Okay. But I use tone in 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 primarily two ways. Most of my dogs work at extreme distances. And so a lot of times they're even out of my ability to use a whistle or to verbally give them a command. I'll do it, but it doesn't work as well. So I train my dogs that tone means look at me. That's what tone means. You have to be careful. You're limited as to how many commands you can teach with something like tone or vibration. And as a general rule, I'm going to say it needs to be one thing and it needs to be consistent. And you teach a recall or you teach sit or you teach it's one thing. But for me, for my dogs, it is look at me. And based on my movement, then you will determine what you need to do. Because I can mm-hmm. turn a dog at, if he could see me at 300 yards, I could turn it without ever having to make a sound. Because right. he understands, okay, I got to look at the boss. Once I have his attention, then I move in the direction that I want him going in. And, Interesting. Uh, yeah. And that well, that's works. kind of like your sit whistle, what a retriever guy would use a sit whistle. It's yep. except your dog's not going to sit, but they're going to yep. turn and look at you for further instruction. Yes. And yep. I'll even do multiple tones and multiple tones means, you know, come on back. But it is, it is a, it is a way. Now I'm not opposed to use the simulation in the same way if I have to, I'm not getting the reaction that I want off the tone <laughs> then I'll use stimulation in the same way. And the vast majority of the time for me, and I think this is universal in that stimulation is to me is a, it's breaking that focus. So that works at a distance, but that's how I use tone. And I teach it really early. And we teach it in a very similar way that we teach whistle commands. And I can do the same thing with vibration. Most of the collars that, that the companies that didn't have vibration and they have vibration. Now we do have something, and this is going back to when you're looking at a collar, you need to look at how the tone or vibration is set up depending on what you want. Most of the Garmin collars are this way. And a lot of the sport dog collars are this way where they don't have an independent button for, Mm -hmm. they'll have an independent button for tone, but they won't have an independent button for vibration where dog true will have an independent. Usually it's a, it's a separate button. That's that's vibration. What a lot of the companies are doing is called vibration on the dial where they'll have a dial setting that is the vibration. When you turn your level to the V now your buttons instead of stemming, they vibe. And so you you do want to think about that when you're approaching a collar, because it depends if you're going to use a lot of one or the other. I'm not a gigantic fan of sharing button Mm -hmm. in that, okay, I've got to turn this dial or I've got to flip this level. And now this button does this, but before it did this. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not a giant fan of that. I really love how Dogtra builds their stuff from that standpoint. You don't have a lot of that. Very simple. Uh, yeah. And sometimes like some of their units will be, it's continuous or it's Nick or constant or Nick by flipping the switch, but a stem button is a stem button where on like on, uh, I use a pro 550 plus and when you turn the dial to V, your stem buttons are now vibe buttons. And I'm, I'm now, once again, I don't use a lot of vibe, so it's not a big deal to me. It's one of those things that you have to think about it going into it because I can tone no matter what level I'm on. Say I'm on a three, I need to tone my dog. I got a separate tone button. I press that button. We're all good. All that button does is tone. Um, mm -hmm. But if I need to vibe, I've got to turn the dial. I've got to do my vibration command and then I've got yeah. to set my level back on the stem. So it's, and it's tricky because if you're new to it and you haven't bought one, we can talk about it all we want, but if you haven't used one, it's hard for you to go, oh, well, I, that vibration's a big deal to me. I don't know. So a lot of times you just have to look at the, at the options. Yeah. I've used vibe in the same way you use tone for deaf right. dogs. If they tolerate it well, it's a look at me signal. And then obviously we can build all our hand signals on that. Yeah, no, it is a lot. It's a lot for somebody that has not used a collar to think about all of this stuff and it sure. can be definitely sounds overwhelming that that's why a person that's going to get one we always talk about testing the collar knowing what that equipment is about working with it a little bit to develop your own skill set with timing and then start with your e-collar conditioning don't worry about some of these other associations right off the bat right. get your dog collar conditioned first and foremost before you start dealing with some of the fancier stuff to add one thing in on, on other features. I have a lot of customers that have to consider range when they're talking about units. I don't think that's as big of a deal for you or your customer base, but I don't know. How do you feel about? As a general rule, it is not nearly the deal it is for you. I tell people, you know what though, I don't really like to see anything less than a half mile, even on a pet, because when we say half mile, we're talking about straight line of sight, no changes in terrain. So my little guy can get out outside of that range pretty quickly if we're out in the woods. So I think half mile should be minimum pretty much for everybody, but more than that is going to depend on what situation they're getting into. So we have very few collars that, that we would recommend that are going to be less than that. We have some 500 yard collars, which that's half a mile is about 880 yards, some 800 and something. So yeah, I feel the same way. Half mile is going to cover everybody. Range is one of those things that too much is never a problem. Not enough is an issue, but there's two sides to this. I generally don't recommend that you stem a dog that you can't see. It's very little good comes from that. You have no idea what they're doing. And there's just, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of good reasons to stem a dog that you can't see, but, and so most folks don't have a good grasp on how far a half mile is. It's a long way. And it, a dog of mine that's a half mile away from me is lost and needs to be picked up. And so, so for most folks, but that half mile, the thing you've got to understand is that so many things cut down range. Right. Um, and this is a factor and the manufacturers don't talk about it enough. They'll do it occasionally when they're releasing a product or when we're developing a product, you don't want to put your hand on the antenna. You've got to kind of look at how you hold your unit. And most of them are set up where it's not going to be easy for you to put your hand on the antenna. I've seen a couple of units that were developed and then people were like, Hey, wait a minute. My thumb goes really well right up against this antenna and that will drop your range on a unit hard. And so, um. So it's one of those things that, that having, having enough range is never a bad thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, I fall in the same category. Like 95% of the people that I do business with, a half mile is going to do more than they'll ever need. We've, speaking of range, we found out the hard way too. We would have people that would put, um, like the bungee type keychains yeah. 
because they want to wear it around the wrist and it has the big circular piece that you attach your keys to. And people were like, why is my collar not working? I can't get any response. And we were like, we have no idea. And this was years ago, but we sent some into a doctor and they're like, you can't have the big metal ring there. It's cutting down the range on your antenna. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't, I mean, that's one of those things that, that people don't think about. They shouldn't. That's not really their job. But it is one of those things that that we try to explain to folks just so they understand what's going on here. One of the things I've seen you recommend is people practice, you know, with their unit. We talked a little bit about testing units, and I'm a big fan of testing unit on myself, but I'm also a big fan of testing, making sure that all the features work and that I know where everything is. But talk a little bit about how you like for people to test to test a unit and to get comfortable with it. Because I think that's the that to me is a giant key. You've got to be able to raise, lower, correct, know everything about that unit. And not have to look at it. Yeah. And that so, takes practice. Yeah. 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 Because I like things. To, obviously, when I'm showing somebody how to train their dog, they're, like you said, they've got a leash. I, they pretty much are required to wear a treat pouch or have treats on them, or they're going to have to have a ball or something like that. So they're jungling the leash. They got a dog that's not trained yet. They got the treats. And now they've got this thing in their hand that is foreign to them. And like any remote, I mean, I'm, the TV remote is foreign to me because I never get to touch it in my household. So. <laughs> So anyway, but my husband can push that thing without looking at it. I want people to be able to push their remote collar without looking at it. You want to comment on that? No, no I do not. It's not. <laughs> I'm just, so, I'm, be- I'm better off being quiet. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here quietly. So, but I want him to be able to push that without looking at it. So, and I want it to be a one-handed operation if possible. And one-handed when you're going to turn up the level is difficult for a lot of people. So I tell them, you know what? Okay, let's put the remote. I always, when I was first learning, I literally strapped the thing to my thigh. So I put it on my thigh because that was easy. And then I would watch a television show and I would pick either a behavior or a word or something like that that was going to be relatively common. So let's say every time somebody's going to get up out of their seat, that is my cue to activate the collar. Or everybody, anytime somebody's name, if the name Tom in in that character, Every time that was going to be my cue. So what was that doing for me? It was causing me to pay attention to what was out in front of me and learn to match my timing with those button taps, right? So learned it. And then we also, so that was first of it. That's part one, getting some timing and some skill. Part two is, okay, now when there's distractions around you, can you learn to do that, time it to that motion, time it to that cue, and then turn it up a little bit without looking at your dial? Right. That takes a while. So with a dog throw, they always have an LCD screen. Most of them do. I would put a little piece of electrical tape over people's LCD screen. And so I just want you to play with this thing and get a feel for, is it a quarter of an inch turn that makes about a five point bump? You can start to get a feel for it, but you have to practice to learn to do that. I know you're more of a fan of the clickable dials and I've used the clickables for a, a fair amount of people because they do feel better knowing that it clicks into place as they go up or down. But regardless of what unit a person is choosing to sit down with that thing and figure out how can I test myself and develop technique with this thing before I actually start training my dog. I think that's hugely valuable. I I agree completely. And it is one of those things that will run into situations where people will say, well, I don't think it's working correctly. And it's a, well, okay, what's going on? Well, the dog's not responding. Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything. I know I've told you this before, but it took me a long time to establish a way to ask people if they had turned their collar on. And it is silly. And you can't say it to most folks. You just can't say, well, is the collar on? That's a good way to, it's a good way to start a fight. But most of the transmitters, now Dogtra's different, the LCD screens help with this, but 
a lot of the transmitters that we sell, they're on mm -hmm. all the time. And so a lot of people assume that the collars are on all the time too. And so you have to find, and what I would ask people is, okay, the light on the collar, what color is it? And then <laughs> they would go, there's no light on the collar. It is impossible to train with a product that you don't know. What do you say reaction time is on a dog? How fast do I have to correct on a behavior or, or when I'm training, how much time do I have? Oh gosh. Fractions of a second. I mean, if you're going to have ideal timing, it's fractions yep. of a second. I think we're safe being within one, maybe two seconds. Okay. But beyond that, your right. association timing is lost. Yeah. And basically that's dogs are in the moment. And so if they move on, you can't go 10, 15 seconds after they've done something and make a correction and expect them to understand it. They're going to look at where they are right now and go, I don't know what it did. So, and once again, I'm saying correction and your techniques tend to use collars in a training fashion, but it's the same thing. If he's in the right position and you stem him now, well, he didn't know what he didn't know what he's supposed to be doing. Because so, we're interrupting yeah. focus. Yeah. So if you yeah. interrupt focus at the wrong time, right. it's not making the right effect, right? If it's three seconds after he tipped the trash over, well, now it's pointless. If it's while he's on point. Yeah. That's not going to help That's, you. You're interrupting yeah. focus at the wrong time. So yeah. yeah, timing is important. Does it have to be spot on perfect? No, but the more a person can work at getting the timing as close to as the behavior is happening or in my thought process, here's one of the things I tell people. If we're trying to prevent a dog from making a mistake, if we've asked him to sit and we want him to maintain sitting while grandma comes into the house, we don't want him to break off his place. We want him to stay sitting. You want to interrupt the thought as he's just about to make the mistake, yeah. not when he's taken three steps across the floor and is already about to knock her over, right? So timing is important. The better our timing is, in my opinion, the faster the dog learns. The more we mess up the timing, the longer this stuff is going to take. So practice with the tools. Awesome. On yourself. On yourself. <laughs> yeah, on yourself. That's, that, that's the key there. And so or it is in that hogs, the remote, that's, that's fine. If that's okay, <laughs> if you can get away with that, I'm not opposed to it. I just would prefer not to be on the receiving end of that. Oh, All right. Now. Well, so, okay. If people have questions about collars or what's the right choice for them or you know, how things fit. We'll be happy to give your opinion on it. We'll, we talk about collars all the time. So it is something that we do. Fortunately, there are a lot of good choices, especially in the intro range in the two to $300 price range. There's an enormous amount of products that, that, that have all of these features that we're, that we're talking about. And yeah. so a lot of choices nowadays to be able to train a dog that we didn't have in the past. So yeah. So and I think it's certainly want to point out all joking aside, when we talk about interrupting or correcting, we're talking at levels that are just getting attention. We're not right. talking about no. truly using something that's causing a startle response. Cause that's not, well, it's not training us a lot of good. That's not yeah. training. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time. We've enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to eCollar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. 
Robin takes you step-by-step step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with a novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step-by-step step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off-leash.